The Song Confessional Podcast is a co-production of KUT, KUTX Studios, and Good Taste Society. This is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to... If you have not listened to part one of this episode with Pom Pom Squad, I highly suggest you go do that first. If you have, here is my interview with Mia. Interview. 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 So who am I speaking with? Hi, I'm Mia Barron, um, and I have a project called Pom Pom Squad. Mia, the last time we saw each other uh, was in March, and it was in Austin. It was during South by Southwest. Uh, since then, it, it seems like you have been all over the world. Is that true? Yeah, it's very literally true. Well, I, it's kind of funny because, um, South by pre pandemic was supposed to be my first time playing shows outside of New York period. So I guess first tour, um, so it was sort of this big thing that had been built up in my head, uh, and then obviously it was canceled. And so it was, it was all very surreal and, and funny to be there. And we had just come off of a tour with our friends, Illuminati Hotties. Uh, yeah. And then went to Europe pretty much straight away after that. And so, now going to Europe again, it's, it's all been a little crazy. Yeah. So how many, how many shows do you think you've played since March? Right now we're talking it's late uh, September. I think, I don't know. I know that, my bandmate Alex was like, he did the math and it's going to be something like 140 shows this year, something Damn, like that. Fuck, that is a lot of shows. I know, it's a lot of shows. And it feels kind of like impossible now, you know, sitting in my apartment back in New York, thinking about how am I going to do, you know, the remaining however many more shows. We're going to be on tour for three months pretty much straight we have a week off um and that's the longest tour i've ever been on so pretty freaky well if you're touring that much uh in a year that means things are either going really well or your manager and you are insane so (laughs) it's maybe both yeah (laughs) well that's exciting though so so you you're basically, you're touring off your last record, which yeah. came out at the end of 2021. And and so, you know, this record's come out and, and now it means a lot to a lot of people, but how has it changed to you? Like, what does this music mean to you now? Oh gosh. I mean, I think a lot has changed for me in the past year in some really positive ways and some really negative ways and some just ways Um, I think there's a lot, I think, you know, that you're growing as a musician when you listen to the record and you can start to lovingly say, well, I would have done that differently, or I could have done this differently, or I want to try this next time. I think when the record came out, it was the first time that I felt like I could listen to my own music as a listener. And I was so proud of it. As a project, it felt like it accomplished exactly what I wanted to accomplish in so many ways. Mm. Um, And then I think part of putting out something that you love is like letting it go. And I I used to be the type of person who was like, well, it's not really mine anymore. You put it out in the world. And that's still true. But I, I was a little bit more, not cavalier, but... I thought of that mostly as a, an okay thing. And now I have a lot more complicated feelings about it. I think it's a really beautiful thing. I think it's also, you're just exposed to so many more opinions about you that you never would have been exposed to before. And I think whether somebody says the best thing about you or the worst thing about you, you know, they don't know you. So it's not, true unless it's coming from people that you trust and love, but it's, it's hard not to like go on the roller coaster a little bit. So I think it is a time capsule for me in many ways of 
just it's I mean, some of the songs, the oldest songs that I wrote in high school, the newest songs I wrote, you know, a month before the album Mm -hmm. came out. And so it does feel like this sort of long time. Well, what am I trying to say? I think it just it it encapsulated a lot. It means a lot of different things to me. And I think, you know, now I it's hard to sort of come out of like a world that I felt like I built out so fully yeah. and start a new project and, and, you know, have to let it go to some degree. Yeah. Keep going. It, yeah. I think if I'm understanding you correctly, like uh, it, it, basically since it's come out, you're just, you, you, what it means to you is informed now by all of these opinions of what it means to other people. So and you can't shut off that that affecting it to some extent or sort of, I feel like you either have to like hold it even closer to your chest and say, this is mine. And like, you know, whatever it means to you, fuck you, it's mine. Or you really do have to like let go and, and try to sort of, yeah, I think it's sort of like, I think the maybe the balance I'm trying to strike right now is like keeping my own feelings about it intact and keeping my own feelings of self-assurance intact. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I think like period point blank, nobody, no human being is, is mentally prepared for like having that many people have an opinion about yeah. <laughs> yeah, you definitely. or something that you did. And I'm, I mean, I'm super sensitive and I have a lot of friends who are like, yeah, I don't really get affected by that stuff. And I'm like, fucking good for you. I, I want that. I want to yeah. that stuff. So I think it was maybe my first real exposure to like how difficult this career path can be in some ways. That sounds very dark, but yeah, I think it, it's, God, it's just been like such a journey with this record. I still, I still love it so much. I think I'm just kind of like in the phase of like having to really convince myself to like, let it go, let people feel what they feel, you know? Yeah. With your last record, did you write that all by yourself or did you write with other people for a few of the songs? Yeah. There were three songs that were co-writes. Um, and the circumstances on all, all of those were pretty special. Like I, I, a lot of the songs I wrote when I was in college, um, and I was in the songwriting class. I had this really amazing songwriting mentor named Mike Erico. And, you know, it's like one week you would write a parody song. One week you would try to, you know, do a co-write. One week you would do, you know, like it was just basically trying to push you out of your comfort zone. So two of the songs on the record came out of that class. Um, and then one came out of like meeting another student from my college after I'd graduated and hearing a song that they kind of wrote as just like a, well, like, you know, if I wrote rock music, this is maybe what it would sound like. And I was like, I love the song and I need it. And will you please let me top line it and put it on my record? Um, so yeah. 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 Everything else I wrote, you know, in my room. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, uh, I, I, I'm curious, uh, do, does writing a song with another person, change like what it means to you like does it mean less to you or something if if you write it with another person or more to you like how does that how does that change it or does it have no bearing at all i think it depends on the song like you know for example there's a song on the record called shame reactions that was in a movie recently called do revenge um Mm-hmm. And that came out on Netflix like maybe last week, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that song is really special because uh, Shelby, my bandmate and my best friend, um, wrote it like way before we met for a project that kind of never really came to be um, and sent it to me. And so when I was in that songwriting class, the assignment was to top line something. And I was like, oh, what do I top line? I've never really written with anybody else. Like, you know, how do I find a track to, to just top line? Um, and I remembered Shelby telling me like, Oh, I, you know, I wrote these songs. So I went back in my email and I found them and I wrote the top line and the lyrics in like 15 minutes and sent it back to Shelby. And was like, I love the song. Like, you know, please, please, please let me like keep writing over your stuff. And that was the only song that 
materialized, but that's one of our most fun songs to do live. And obviously Shelby means so much to me as a person. And so that song getting attention and feeling the love for that song, you know, does mean something different than just like getting love on a song that I wrote myself, you know, because it feels like it's like a victory for, for us versus, you know, other co-writes like can be more or less personal. Like I did another co-write on a song called cake, um, with someone named Henson Popa, who's amazing. Um, but we didn't know each other super well when the, when the process started. And so I think our friendship formed through that song, um, Mm. which has a totally different meaning than like writing a song with your best friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it, 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 I think the song kind of dictates its own meaning. Yeah. Interesting way. For me, I think my favorite kinds of lyrics recently, Mm -hmm. and maybe always are lyrics that are so deeply personal to the writer that they almost become universal. Like I think Taylor Swift is a master of that, you know? Yeah. There's so many specific experiences in her songs that like, you know, and it's like, I'm not like a Swifty. Like I have a lot of respect for her as a, as a artist and as a writer, Mm -hmm. but you know, I think that's something that I really admire about, about lyricists. If they can make something specific, give you the same feeling that they feel. I think it, I think it gives, I think lyrics like that give songs uh, depth, even if they don't give it like they don't help the story be more clear, like the way you're writing a novel or something that they give a song depth. They give the feeling they create like a space for people to put themselves into the song. I think more effectively than like a great description of something universal, you know? Um, I, I basically, I completely agree with you. I think Taylor Swift is like a, a, a master of that. And like those little details are what really sent songs over the edge. Um, I don't know. I mean, e- even the, I'm, I was never a really big Bonnie Vera fan. And then, mm-hmm. and in part, because I never really knew what the hell he was saying. Uh, <laughs> and then I read this interview with him where he was saying that, he, you know, he mumbles over his demos and then, I don't know if he still does this, but at the time is what he was doing. And then he sort of fills in, he fills it in with words and like lets the sound of the song dictate it. And I remember reading that and being like, "Eh, I don't know what I think about that. That's kind of strange. And then I went to a show and it just blew me the fuck away. I was like, Oh my God, this is this music is super powerful. And I kind of don't know exactly what it's about, but, but I'm, I'm feeling it, you know, in this, ineffable way and like yeah it's powerful what you can do with words uh in a completely not literal way yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um well one more, I have one more question for you about tour before we dive more into songwriting stuff but so you've basically been gone for like six months if not more for this yeah. year <laughs> what do you what do you do on the road to like take care of yourself like what's like your like self-care stuff you do on the road yeah i mean i think having routines is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, even something as silly as like doing my skincare every morning and at night, you know? Yeah, totally. Having a thing that sort of just like, I think especially with tour, it's sort of like there's time changes, there's location changes, there's weather changes. There's, I think, you know, hilariously, it's like I chose a career that is very incompatible with any kind of stability in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a homebody and I'm very introverted typically. Um, so it's confusing. I think something that is important and my biggest advice to anybody who wants to take music seriously and tour is like really know the people you're touring with because it's a game changer. And I'm, I'm lucky that I have, you know, two of my, longtime best friends on tour with me. Um, and you know, the other people who are in the band, I really try to make an effort to, to get to know and get a sense of as a, as a group dynamic, how things are going to go and make it really clear from day one, if I'm interviewing somebody who's doing front of house or, you know, driving or whatever, being like, these are the rules. This is how we treat people. And like, that has to be respected because, that 
having like an uncomfortable dynamic on tour, not communicating properly. Like those are things that really mess up the whole thing. Um, and maybe that's me being somewhat of a control freak, but I think I'm so affected by other people's feelings and emotions and chaos and upsetness that it's sort of like, if I can create a sort of like, I don't know if I can create a space that's like the most comfortable for everybody, that's what I'm going to do. So like, Mm -hmm. even, you know, like this is kind of silly and obviously this is like something I've been lucky enough to do. But for example, like if we're in a place that, you know, we don't know anybody and we can't crash with anybody. Like if we find, if we can find like a cheap hotel, like being like, you know what, let's choose that over like everyone sleeping in the van. Because it's sort of, you know, even though it's extra money, it sort of makes up. It's like, it's worth, it's like worth it because the value of everyone being well-rested and happy and fed is like, so much more valuable than like, okay, we spent a hundred bucks and we're all miserable and the tour is bad. Like I had kind of a rough experience on my first headline. Um, and it makes me understand why people hate touring. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it's really easy to hate it. And I think in so many ways, it's like a whole Twitter controversy I think during South by actually where a band was like, Hey, you know, and like not in any shady way to South by not in any, any shady way to anyone, but just was like, this is the reality of what touring is like budget wise. Um, you know, we weren't able to sell merch at South by and, you know, it makes it really hard for smaller bands to do these things. Um, yeah. and it went viral, not because people were like, wow, maybe we should have better working conditions for musicians it literally was like advocating worse working condition for musicians like it was all of these sort of older touring vet mostly dudes being like why don't you just sleep in the van like why are you wasting money like shower at a truck stop and not for nothing like i get it but especially if you're in a band with queer people and women and non-white people like sleeping in a van showering at a truck stop is not the easiest thing. And it's like also somewhat more fraught than you would expect, you know? And it's sort of like, for me, safety, comfort, stability are any place that I can find those things. I will take them on tour because it's, it's really, really difficult. Um, yeah. So I think in terms of my self care, like honestly, communication is a huge part of self-care. Asking for alone time when you need it. Yeah. Um, is also huge because you're in a van, you know, you're in a we're not on a tour bus tour, like we're in a van and you can hear everybody at all times, you can see everybody at all times. Um, and that is draining. It's it's hard, even when you're with people you love. It's you don't realize what a toll it takes on you being on. And also, you know, sort of touching back on what I was talking about with the record, you're also constantly dealing with other people's perception of you. And it makes it hard, at least makes it hard for me to feel any sense of self or feel any sense of like sanity on the road. Maybe this Mm -hmm. is like maybe this is mental illness, but, (laughs) um, I, I, I tend to get this sense, you know, like I want to be like the sparkliest, best, kindest version of myself for my fans who come and pay money to see me and care about my music so much and have allowed me to do this as a full-time job, you know? But that also means in my perfectionist brain, like there's not really room for me to have a bad day or have a bad show or be upset or be in a bad mood. You know, I have to, to, to show up for the people who are showing up for me, you Mm -hmm. know, but also 
it's sort of like then, and then I'm also like as a band leader showing up for my bandmates and making sure that everybody's comfortable and making sure that everything's good. And so it's like finding the room for my, to be there for myself is really important. So I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big comfort creature. That was a very long winded. No, it was fucking great though. And and you, you hit on something that, that is so uh, prevalent, uh, which is people kind of romanticizing the struggle of touring, like, like in this very toxic, like broy way, which is like, well, it was hard for me, so it should be hard for you. You know, you should suffer and do these cost saving measures because that's what everyone before us did. And it's so fucked, man. And it's a, it's such a gross, like, um, I mean, I, I, I was, I was certainly romantic. I certainly romanticized a lot of my early tour experiences. And I think that it set me up really poorly for when things got serious for myself, for my, the, my band and everything, because, uh, you really should have a higher standard for yourself and your band. And especially if you're leading a band, like, yeah, the hundred bucks is worth it. Like, no, it's not safe for everyone. Like not, a, not every band is a bunch of like, you know, straight, straight white guys, like showering a truck stop isn't safe for everyone, you know? Yeah. And just, just creating like a place of uh, making the dynamic between the band, the inner dynamic safe is so essential to any healthy touring operation, you know? Otherwise it's like, it's kind of never worth it. Like there's never as rarely is there enough money to make it like something like a normal job, you know, right. well, it's like, it, it, it truly is a lifestyle thing. And so with that in mind, it's like, what? yeah, it should, it should just be a safe place. You yeah, know? And it's, I mean, it's just plainly like it's hard. And I think it's hard to talk about because any career in entertainment, if you're sort of like, this is what's difficult, there is some level of like boohoo you get to, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, and sing on stage for a living. But, you know, I do think, like, it, it's important to talk about. It's a difficult thing to put your body through, you know, yeah. like, period. Always. It's a really, and especially, like, you know, for me, it's a pretty active show. It's a very physically exhausting show. And, like, I have a lot of fans that are connected to me in a deeply personal way and I talk a lot about my mental illnesses in my music and so like I have people coming up to me telling me like I was going to kill myself and then I listen to your songs and like that is obviously like I'm glad that it, what I do could help somebody in that way um but the other side of that is like god is that a hard thing to to hear and process and it, it's also you know, a, a, a big responsibility to make sure, making sure like I never want to do or say the wrong thing uh -huh. that could hurt someone knowing that I have that much power over someone else's life, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. um, which sort of objectively, I understand like, you know, is a, a big responsibility to take on and maybe more so than I should be taking on. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, I know the de degree to which music has been there for me. And I want to make sure people understand that, like, you know, I don't know. What am I trying to say? I think it's like the point is that it's a, it is a, it's a very complicated job. It's like a job that, you know, it's like hard to like find like, God, I've, I've tried to talk to so many therapists about being in the music industry. And it's like, all like, I've literally been told, you know, well, like more fans, more haters, all press is good press. Like all this stuff that is so understandable to someone who is not in this position you know and has not been in been in this industry but also is so hard to hear and so isolating to hear um because there isn't a great outlet 
to talk about like, yeah, I've been traveling. I've been in 40 different time zones and it messed up my medication schedule. And also like, I have to, you know, smile and not be upset and like always be on and I'm not eating enough. You know what I mean? Like there's so much to touring that is, is, yeah, it's, it's just really, it's really difficult on your physical and your mental health. Yeah. Um, and I do wish that was something that there were more resources to, mm-hmm. to deal with. I've been, I've been amazed at the reluctance of a lot of people I know to sort of get back to it mm-hmm. uh, post COVID lockdown scariness, not to say COVID's over, but just, you know, the full shutdown in the industry. And I think a lot of it has to do with everything that you're talking about and just an unwillingness to do it, to do it, you know, to do it, um, like before, I mean, honestly, it's refreshing to hear you, hear you say a lot of the things you're saying because it's not very romantic (laughs) the way you're talking about it. Something that I sort of like wish universally is that I think there sort of needs to be like a worldwide understanding that things are not going to go back to how they were before and they shouldn't. Yeah. And that sounds bleak, but I actually think that that could be a really amazing thing for a lot of people because I know at least for me, you know, I went, I got to start doing music full time around the time of our first tour. Um, and I, I quit my day job and I kind of like took the risk because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to keep working if I was leaving town all the time, you know? Uh Um, but you know, during the shutdown, like I got laid off from my office job and I was like, wow, I was waking up at like six in the morning, not getting home till like 8 PM, you know, seeing my partner for like an hour going to bed, waking up and starting over. And I, I did not have a life, you know, I didn't have a life and I was doing fine on money, you know, and it just sort of, and also I was like a full-time student. And so it was like, I was like doing my office job, going to classes, like, you know, doing like music stuff on the weekends and at night. And it just kind of made me realize like how insane of a schedule that is, you know, for, for anyone. And there are people with much harder jobs than what I was doing who are working worse hours and making worse money. And it just really like, I think it exposed in a lot of ways how just inhumane capitalism is Um, and made space for people to say like, this is crazy. Like, isn't this crazy that we used to just do this all the time? And it exposed how many jobs can be done like from your house. Like you don't have to wake up at 6 a.m. and commute to an office. What, so you can like sit in front of your six coworkers and like, work on your computer while somebody's watching you. It's awful. That sounds terrible. And like yeah. for I mean for me I was not, I'm not a I don't do well with like <laughs> authority. Um and I I didn't when I was in school and I didn't really when I was working and so it, you know just like not having a boss or like at least not having a boss like watching me made life so much easier and lighter and you know so i guess we can receive unemployment for a long time you know what i mean exactly it's like there's an you know my my partner said something once about like there is so much money in the world you just have to find somebody to give it to you Mm -hmm. um which i think about a lot because it's it's just true you know and people are always like there's no money in music there's no money in this there's a lot of money somewhere yeah you know it's just probably not being distributed well um 100 (laughs) definitely true i completely understand people's reluctancy reluctancy reluctance i don't know what i understand why people are reluctant to go back on tour because it's, it is hard. And in some ways it's, it's unnecessarily hard because you have the voice, the, you know, the guitar center bro in the back of your head saying, well, why, you know, you should just be sleeping in the van. Like don't mm-hmm. prioritize your comfort and safety, prioritize, you know, saving the extra hundred dollars. 
Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and fuck you. Like it's hard. And I think there have been like, uh, for me at least things as simple as like, I always have to bring a light backstage so that I can do my makeup in like a dingy bar bathroom if I need to, you know, like having like a, like a mirror with a light, having, you know, a pillow, having an air mattress, having a sleeping bag, you know, asking, you know, if we can crash with friends and seeing if they have enough room for us to have air mattresses, if they have a couch, like asking the right questions. And, you know, I'm an over-prepare anyway. Um, but it's sort of like, I, and I didn't ever tour pre-pandemic. So there's a lot of things that I didn't experience that I'm very lucky that I, I didn't, but you know, growing up around the music industry and, you know, having friends as I was like going through college who were touring and talking to them about it. I think all I ever heard was touring is a miserable, horrible experience. And so my, you know, instinct number one was how do I make it easier for myself? Um, which is, I think where I'm coming from when I, when I leave for a tour. Yeah. Well, I want to switch gears here. What was, what's River about? What is the song about? What is the song about? Um, well, when you send me the story that it was inspired by, it was very rich with emotion and specificity to the point where it was almost overwhelming to begin to try to figure out how to do justice to, to that story. Um, And I think, you know, counter to the way that I tend to write, which is writing very specific and very, you know, microcosm. um, I felt like in order to tell the story that I wanted to tell, it needed to sort of sit in a more metal. I I'm I want to talk about this song River that yeah. you that you wrote. You know, less specific place. So I think the song is about grief. Um, it's about memory. Mm-hmm. It's about I don't know all of the soup that goes into <laughs> you know a deep nostalgic sadness mm-hmm. which i think is is sort of the the when i say mess i mean it affectionately i i think it was sort of the 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 mess that the story is about the very very human mess that comes with the fallout of love that comes with the fallout of family relationships that comes with death that comes with the loss of precious childhood memories and artifacts um yeah and i just thought about how like just a big constantly moving body of water Mm -hmm. um, and how i don't know how those feelings interconnect how overwhelming that kind of grief can be yeah did you wow that was a great description of those lyrics did you did you write these lyrics with boyfriend so i (laughs) to be totally honest i went into the session very anxious Mm -hmm. i think it was my first co-write with someone that i didn't like go to college with (laughs) oh yeah yeah so you're me you were meeting her at the same time as you were yes writing yeah yes yes so it was like i came into the room with nothing Um, and we had talked a little bit before, but, you know, I think sort of my dream situation and like what I, what I do now is like, if I'm in a co-write with someone, I like call them up and I'm like, let's have a phone call. I want to know who you are. What are you dealing with? Like, and if it doesn't work, especially if I'm writing for Pom Pom Squad, I'm like, you know, I I need to make sure that this is going to be a a good environment for me. If I'm writing for somebody else, like, I still want to know what you're about, but it's sort of like, I let someone else dictate the process. And I think you know, because this situation was so, it was like, it's South by there's chaos, you know, I'm meeting every, all these people for the first time. Like I didn't even really know how to handle that kind of situation. 
Um, and I'm really lucky because all, all of you are super nice. And I think you can sense my <laughs> extreme anxiety. Um, but I think when we went into the room, we were sort of throwing out ideas and I was like, getting kind of stressed out because I'm like, I'm not doing enough. There's something I should be doing. And I'm not, they're all waiting for me to come up with an idea that I'm not having. And so I just started going through my iPhone notes, uh, to try to find something to, to start with. Um, after we had kind of like thrown out some ideas and trashed the ideas and thrown out more ideas and trashed those ideas. Um, and I found the lyric, you could make a river out of me, which I guess I'd written at some point. Um, you know, I tend to like, if I have a thought, I just write it down and then I forget about it. And when I'm lyric writing, I'll run back through and see if anything fits together nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I liked this idea of a river, you know, I, I'm a cancer. I, I love all of that astrology ooh, bullshit, but, um, water has always been something that is, you know, I think it's symbolic to every human being. I think there's something about the ocean and the collective unconscious that just, I don't know, is activated, um, in people. I think that image, I think being around water, it's a thing. Can't explain it, but that's, that's, it's a thing. So, um, I was thinking about, you know, I mean, there's a very literal flood in the story. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a personal experience with like, you know, personal possessions being lost in a flood. And that was something that I had been trying to write about unsuccessfully for a long time. Um, and so like, you could make a river out of me. I was thinking about, you know, emotions pouring from a person, like the image of seeing all of these things that mean so much to you being literally like cascaded away on the body of water out of, out of your house and being drowned and, you know, transformed into nothing, um, by water. And so I felt like it was a, a nice place to start and I brought it up to Sue's, um, and she liked it. And I was like, okay, like we, we broke through the, we broke through the thing, like we're on a track. Um, and so we ended up writing the rest of the lyrics together, kind of working off of that river metaphor, which was, which was fun. And also like lots to work with in a water metaphor. So it's kind of, uh, the next step is how do you make it more interesting than mm -hmm. just the normal, normal water metaphors? Yeah. I mean, I, I, my memory is, uh, it, it took, I mean, first off this, the project is an experiment. And so you, you kind of have to get going really quickly, which is a pretty, uh, contrived situation. But my, my memory is that it took us kind of a second to get going, but, um, you got, she had, she came up with that vocal loop and you got, had a vocal melody and I put those chords under it. And then it was just all of a sudden, like kind of there, like y'all, yeah. you, you, you were able to take it from, uh, you, you two were able to take it from like literally Sue's humming something and you singing, I think maybe the first verse over into a song like very quickly. And then your band came in and like totally just crushed it. Um, yeah, they were the best. Yeah. And it, is that the, it, I think you had a sub playing bass on that. Yeah. Is that so true? Yeah, Lauren's now in the band, which is great. Very cool. Um, we love Lauren. And that was sort of, interestingly enough, that day was kind of like a turning point for Lauren, where she was like, I think I really want to be in this band. I really like doing this. That's um, fucking awesome. That's yeah, cool. so it was a very special day for us all. And I think the other thing about the session that was kind of interesting was that um, we started the day, and then I had to run and do a showcase. So that yeah. was... <laughs> So and then I crazy. came back from the showcase, like totally like, ah, like what's going on? And yeah. then, uh, you know, we kept writing, um, and right. And the band came in after that with me. And like, I remember, you know, I was telling them how nervous I was. And so I got to the showcase and they're like, how's it going? What's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I was just so, you know, freaked out and, and overwhelmed, which honestly maybe contributed to like how, you know, the emotional content, which is good. But mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So then we came back, we did most of the session and then we had a COVID scare. That's right. We did have a fucking COVID scare. You're right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Cause we had just left the tour and then my tour mate, Sarah, uh, texted me and was like, Hey, by the way, I have COVID. And, uh, and then I think I very calmly like ushered everyone upstairs. I was like, we'll be right back guys. And we walked up the stairs and I was like, Hey guys, um, Sarah just texted me. We might have COVID. We have to leave. <laughs> and I think we like kind of filed out and very sheepishly. We're like, um, I'm really sorry. This thing just happened. We might have COVID. We're going to go, which also was like a disruptive force because then Jim had to leave the next day. So, it was like a whole thing. And, you know, I think, um, having that second day though, in a lot of ways, like I really enjoyed that second day because it reminded me of how much I really love producing. And it was, it hadn't been since the record that I really got to like produce my band and, and direct and sort of like, you know, really, and I mean, it's that whole studio is like a fucking playground. It's such a dream. Yeah, yeah it is a dream. Uh, so it was, it was like, I was just sort of in heaven um, with my bandmates and with um, that very, very sweet engineer that was there. Grant. Yeah. Yeah. And like, just like running around being like, I'm going to play the piano and I'll do this. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So it was, I think it, you know, it was a really fun experience overall. And I think it all contributed to how the song played out. I think even like having this really long instrumental section at the end of just like stuff. <laughs> yeah. Feels like sort of the, the embodiment of the, the second day of writing. Totally. I mean, that I had forgotten about all of the different, you know, so, so much of my experience with COVID has been uh, becoming aware of my, my own anxiety like just mm-hmm. the general anxiety level that I have carried with me through a lot of my adult life. And it's so hilarious to think back to that. Cause I have completely edited out the fact that we had a COVID scare in the middle of it. Also <laughs> you went and played a show in the middle of it, which is classic South by like, we're going to say yes to every opportunity. Like, ad- like I've done that a million times, like just done so much in a day. And then Jim had to leave on tour and I, I, I could only really be there for part of both days. Like I wasn't necessarily intending to be there for the whole time. And I'm remembering now that I tracked some piano and then yes. I had to leave to go do something. So you did more piano. It's because when I would listen to the song this morning, I was like, oh yeah, there's two piano performances on this. Like it's not just one. <laughs> like, um, but yeah. It's just funny that I edit out all the, I've edited out a lot of that stuff. It's like, um, yeah, I feel like, you know, the mind is tricky that way, but I think, you know, I remember it very distinctly because it was, you know, like obviously you're doing these all the time. So it makes mm-hmm. sense that you're not going to remember every you know minute detail. Of yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was first South by it was first, co-write with you know with someone i don't know the first sort of like let's show up make a song in a day and leave situation which is like my which is just my nightmare so like (laughs) (laughs) just the most nerve-wracking thing to me and i'm glad that it happened you know i'm glad that i did it but it's sort of like it would just so happen that it ended up being two days you know what i mean yeah it's it's just it's just funny to me thinking about that um you uh you know when we were doing this you i i gave you i think two confessions to choose from or maybe three i think it was probably just two but you chose this one and one of the things that i noticed and i really liked it's kind of, it's kind of how i knew we were gonna do we were gonna come up with something good was you chose this confession that was very fraught like it wasn't a fun story and it wasn't like a simple, sad story either. Like it's a very fraught uh, confession and it is kind of a confession in a way, like a, like a proper one. Um, Do you, do you remember that? Do you remember that conversation we had about that? Like right when you started working? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. Because I thought that was interesting. Like 
like you didn't, am I, am I correct in saying that like you didn't necessarily like the confessor or didn't, I don't know. What, what, were, what were your feelings about him? Yeah. I mean, I think I tend to be, well, I think there's a lot about it. I have to think back a little bit because obviously I haven't sure. listened to it in a minute, but I think I sensed a lot of anger that this person was holding and maybe no, I think if I may diagnose, please I feel like the person telling the story was not quite in the place yet to take responsibility for maybe where, what they could have done wrong. I felt like there was a lot of blame being placed on the love interest um, mm-hmm. or the former love interest of the story. And I think there was a lot of, you know, I think I'm sort of of the mind in an ideally that, you know, you have to be angry and you have to experience your feeling. And I don't know how fresh those emotions were. They seemed, they seemed fresh, but I kind of believe in like taking responsibility where you can, um, and trying to, to kind of keep them a, a measured, balanced opinion of the other people in your life. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is nobody is purely a villain. Nobody's purely a victim. Um, and I think I just detected like the place that, that person was on in their journey of healing was a- anger and blame and fear. Um, and I think sometimes that anger and, and blame and fear is a protection mechanism from reflecting on yourself and thinking about maybe what could have gone wrong in the relationship for that other person. I also just frankly skeptical of men. Yeah, <laughs> and fair. There, and there, this woman is crazy. You know, she did this, women, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I tend to sort of come into a situation like that already with a questioning mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still wanted to do justice to the person's feelings uh, because it's a lot. And I think especially like as an adult, um, being an adult yeah. is, you know, there are just so many feelings you never thought or ever could have prepared for. Uh that exist, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and I think like, as I'm getting older, you know, I have pretty young parents, but it's like, my partner's a little older than me and, and her parents are a little older than her. And so starting to kind of realize like, we're all getting older, like parents die, God forbid, not anytime soon, but you know, parents die, things change, memories fade and or can be lost you know I think like some of my worst fears in life are like losing everything losing everything in a fire losing people that I love um this idea of starting over and I went through that in a in in a couple phases of my life I've been through these sort of like slash and burn parts of my life where I'm in I'm you know, pushed out of the nest, so to speak, in a way that's uncomfortable and difficult and unexpected and sad. And so I understand the the structure of that sensation and having that sort of be like the period on the end of a story of this like messy, horrible divorce. Um, God, I mean, it's like, I have a lot of empathy for it. Um, it kind of just feels like the, <laughs> I used to be an acting student, regrettably. Um, <laughs> I read a lot of plays that I still love to this day. And it's like, I'm thinking about sort of like the opposite of the deus, deus ex machina or whatever. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. Like the opposite of like the big thing comes and saves the day. It's like the big thing comes and ruins the day and the world ends. Like uh-huh. there's this one play that I remember ends with like a meteor shower. And it's like, it's just about all these rich people doing their rich people things and living their silly little rich people lives. And then the end of the play is they just all get killed by a meteor shower. 
And it like, it felt listening to that story. It felt like that. (laughs) It felt like I just went through this horrible, horrible thing. And then lo and behold, my whole life gets, you know, deluged (laughs) and my parent dies. I mean, it's not funny. It's like not funny, but it's like, it's just, it's so tragic. It's so tragic and it's so intense. And it's just such an, you know, it's like pregnant with, meaning mm-hmm. um and i think i was just sort of trying to process like all sides of that grief um and all sides of that sadness you know that feeling like everything is happening to you yeah yeah there, there, there's there's something about grieving that um there's a relationship that like venting or talking about your grief uh, does for someone that is a little, it's kind of ineffable. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you, you people, some people need to talk about it. It's how they process it, but it doesn't mean that what they're saying is truthful or a hundred percent accurate or how they feel even a week later let alone years later. And I think you're really correct in that where this man was at, he was definitely still needing to talk, needing to try to articulate his pain and his experience. And like, I mean, even the way he lays out this thing, like it, it, the, the, the symbol of the water flooding everything, it's like, yeah, you know, you can't really write it. And it, it it's not, I mean, you're, I think you're correct in, in how, in about where he was at. And that he was, he hadn't gotten to his own involvement in his own misery yet. He was still very much like, um, or so his own role that he played in his own misery. And it's, it's, he, he's, he's just still working it out, you know? And that's, that's something that I've definitely noticed about whenever people are grieving. I mean, relationships are one thing, but death, I think is even more complicated where, you know, you, the, the, the stages of grief are real and bargaining with reality is it's, 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 it's an actual real part of grieving that is very complicated and can look like a million things. And like, that's very much what this guy was, was doing, you know, he'd experienced these two losses. They were connected in his mind. They experienced them sort of together, but you know, um, that's something I've always wondered about. And I, I, would love to, I wish it was possible to do like a follow-up with him, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just on a personal level, not for the show. I don't want to exploit it anymore, you know, but just to sort of see how he feels about this stuff now. Yeah. I know you're totally right. And I, hopefully I'm not sounding like insensitive. To not him. at all. No, I think the opposite things. I'm very sensitive to where he's at. I hope so. I mean, I think you're right about sort of talking and about confession and, and how anger manifests i think something that my mom used to say that used to annoy me because you know you're a kid and you're just like is she always says you know say what you mean and mean what you say um and you know it sounds really simple but i think when i think about grief or i think about complaint or i think about you know even just everyday interactions like my tendency is to not say anything until i know what i want to say but often that gets in the way of really healing properly, you know, because a lot of the time you're right. It does involve just saying the thing out loud, putting it into the world, you know, sharing, like, I mean, literally it's like sharing the weight with somebody sharing, like sharing it by saying it, but like, it's the, it's the literal act of sharing the most literal sense. Like, yeah, it's not just yours to, to deal with. Um, you know, and it, it just seemed like this was a narrator who was in the stage of just like feeling that absolute weight of the world on his shoulders and um yeah, still yeah. like it you know, it was a hard listen. Um but I don't know, for some reason I find that the hard stuff easier to write about than the easy stuff. Maybe that's just because I've had more practice writing about sad things than happy things. Yeah. 
Well, and in the, and there's just more there, you know, there's just more there with, with the sad, hard stuff. I think like it's so much more, it, it, it opens you up to the world in a way that I don't think positive emotions do, uh, pause or, you know, it, it, it you're just sort of, I, I always think about that Paul Simon lyric, uh, in Graceland where he's like, uh, losing love is like a window to your heart. Everyone can see you're torn apart. Like mm. it's true, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a kind of vulnerability that is very legible in our culture. And I think as a writer, like we have so much to, just such a strong base to start from, you know? And so I, at least what I've gathered from your songs where you, you like, you articulate, I think sadness. I mean that in most general sense um, in a very personal way and in a way that obviously your fans really connect with, like it's, it's almost like you're allowed to be more specific and more profound in a way, because it, we have such a basis for talking about it in song, you know, yeah. and the happy yeah. shit is just not as interesting. <laughs> no. Well, no, it's so funny. Cause I, I, I sort of have an interesting counter to that, that I've been thinking mm. about a lot, which is, you know, is it less interesting or are we just less interested in it? You know, I feel like sadness and hardship and love are the times that we want to express the most and the things we have the most to say about because it's harder to deal with alone, you know, and happiness. I feel like joy, happiness is something that it can be a very individual, Mm -hmm. solitary feeling, but I've definitely found that when I try to write about, you know, I think it's, it's so much harder to write a good love song than it is to write a good breakup song. Um, but I think that's because I don't know if it's something that we tend to explore. I think writing is something that happens when people are trying to work through something often, Yeah. you know? So I wonder if it's that it's not as interesting or that it's just something that hasn't really been explored as richly as it could be. Yeah. I think in like a cultural context, you know, for example, the the age old, you have to suffer for your art. Mm -hmm. That is something, the idea you have to suffer for your art is something that I contest a lot. um, Mm. Because I think it's actually just a very toxic way to handle artistry. Um, Mm -hmm. And kind of in the way that like method actors like are like, I have to be sad to do a sad scene. I think that's stupid. First of all, it's like, if you're an actor, you should, your job is to, to act and you should be able to put yourself in, you know, that place without like being like, I have to think about my very, the very traumatic death of my best friend or whatever. I think that's just like inhumane. Yeah. Um, And I think, again, we sort of like, culturally lobby for this like inhumanity towards artists whether that's you know touring conditions you should just be happy to be considered um you know you should be happy that you get to do it you know so just like shut up and sleep in the van um i think like i've found it so much more difficult to experience joy than i than i have found it to experience sadness. And I think it's, it's easier to identify when I'm experiencing sadness because Mm -hmm. there's just so much text. There's so many songs, there's so many movies, there's so many words to describe sadness. There's melancholy, there's despondence, there's sorrow, there's despair. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And like, it feels like fewer words to describe happiness or at least fewer that, that I've used in a lifetime, you know? Um, so I don't know. I think part of my challenge to myself as a songwriter right now is trying to fi- find a way to write about everything else, mm-hmm. you know, than yeah. heartbreak and, and, and sorrow and sadness. And I think even this was like a, an interesting beginning to that, to talk about grief you know um was it was an interesting experience you know trying to figure out how to describe grief and i think it it felt easier to describe it as an image than it than to describe it in words the song confessional podcast is produced by myself zach catanzaro walker lukens 
Rylan Kettery, Jim Eno, Aaron Blackerby, Adam Mason, Mike Lee, and brought to you by KUTX. The theme song you heard at the top was written and performed by me and Zach, uh, as well as Topaz McGarrickle, who played saxophone. It was recorded and mixed by Adam Mason. If you enjoy this podcast, the very best thing you can do to help us out is send your favorite episode to anybody in your life that might be interested. If you want to do anything else, please give us a like and a subscribe.